Though I've gone to my share of galleries and museum exhibits that revolve around photography, I have to admit that I'm not as familiar with the world of fine art photography as I probably should be. But it's still an interesting world, and I got an uh, email from someone recently who invited me to start interviewing some more people who are more involved in the fine art world than, than the photographers that I've interviewed in the, in the past. And uh, today's guest, uh, Aline Smithson, is a photographer who knows something about that. I had the opportunity to meet her a little less than a year ago when, uh, at an event at the Julia Dean Workshop, where I saw some of her students who were there sharing their images, their portfolios, um, their collection of images, uh, books they had created in a class in which Elaine helps photographers sort of develop not only a selection of images that they can uh, shop around to different galleries and curators, but also train them in the ability to be able to talk and discuss their work in a real intelligent and insightful manner. And actually, I met these photographers before I had a chance to talk to Aline, and it was I was really impressed by the way that the students were able to really share their work and talk about it. And once I found out they had all taken her class, I wanted to sit down and talk to her. So ever since then, I knew that I've been wanting to have her as a guest, and we were finally able to, to sit down and talk. And I really hope that you take away a lot from this great conversation that I had with Aline Smithson. Well, Aline, welcome to The Candid Frame. Thank you. I am honored to be here. I appreciate uh, this opportunity. When I when I met you last year at that event at the Julia Dean Workshop, I was admiring the work that you had done with your students. And just from that brief conversation I had with you, I knew I was I really wanted to have you on the show because I felt like what you brought to the table, and especially what you were bringing uh, with your students, was something that a lot of people needed to hear. So I'm very pleased to finally have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I want to talk about your work to begin with, because one of the things that I noticed when I was looking through your gallery is that you've used your your son, your daughter, and even your mother in, in the series of photographs. And I know that a lot of people who pick up a camera often are inspired by, you know, the inclusion of a, of a new child in, into the family. But... Your images seem to be exploring something else than just capturing pictures for memory's sake. And I'm curious as to how your use of the camera to make pictures of your children and your family members over a period of time has sort of shaped the way you see them. That's a good question, and I, I don't know if I have the answer to it. When I started photography, I was raising two small children, and was not in a, uh, a place where I could go out and photograph the world. And I had to figure out how to develop my body of work and my way of seeing the world. And I had to use what was in front of me, which, you know, were my children and my children's friends. And I really, looking back at, at a lot of that early work, I'm, I feel so blessed to have had these supportive models that allowed me to try out all different 
types of ways of shooting, uh, whether it would be toy camera or um, using light, um, using different darkroom techniques, and uh, they were really willing participants in in that journey. And especially my daughter just has been uh, really a, a significant sort of touchstone in my work that um, her her collaboration with me over the years has been really remarkable. And um, I have put her in some uncomfortable situations that she tolerated because, you know, she loved me and I was her mother. And, and I think that they both understood very early on that I was an artist and this was my language. Um, I had had a degree in uh, fine art before coming to photography. So when prior to photography, they would see me painting all the time. So they were aware of the uh, the idea of being an artist. You, you mentioned the, the word collaboration with your images, with your children. And I get a strong sense of that when I take a look at those photographs. It's not like they're, they're being posed somewhere and then they're impatiently waiting for mom to get finished what she's doing so she can move on. I really get in sense, a sense that they're engaged in, in what you're doing. But why do you think that you were able to create that dynamic with your kids, particularly as they reach adolescence, which is a notorious time when you know they want to do anything but cooperate? You know, I have a lot of respect for my children, and I always have, ever since they were born, really. And I think that that respect made them respect me. You know, part of that is just the way you parent a child. I I actually felt feel like I have learned as much from my children as they have learned from me. And I think having that kind of attitude and if you if you respect the person that you're working with, they sense that. You know, they they sense that they're not just an object that you're dealing with, that you're you're looking at the whole person when you're shooting them. When I look at the your galleries and the collections of images, a lot of them revolve around ideas and concepts. It's not really a, a collection of, of, of shots that you sort of just put together and labeled it under a category. So it, it seems like it arises largely from some sort of idea that you're trying to explore and investigate. And I'm wondering that early on when you were making the photographs of your children, how did that sort of take shape, that idea of moving from merely taking photographs and putting them together to actually critically looking at the body of work that you had been producing with your family and starting to make sense of it? I think it was twofold. I think because I came from an art background and I came from a much more conceptual background, that I wasn't interested in just creating family photos. I wanted something more significant to talk about. And then the other part was that I don't come out of academia with my photography. So I, I think I started really reading a lot and trying to understand the fine art photography landscape and realized that people were working in projects. And that was kind of a light bulb moment. And it began, I began to, to look at work in more of, of building projects. Uh, I think those two things really helped me see my children 
in a different way other than a family way. So can you give me an example in terms of how you began to perceive, say, the images of your daughter in terms of a project and the theme? If you look at my my body of work that's daughter, it it's kind of all over the place. But I do see that whole body as a reflection of my evolution as a photographer, because almost every image I'm trying out a different technique or a different point of view. And it was a wonderful confluence of her growing up as a person and me growing up as a photographer. And that's what that body of work reflects. What you're not seeing are some projects that are not on my website. For instance, I started shooting my daughter in, there's one or two images of it in a, a tall gold hat from Thailand, but shooting her in various locations that were really an incredible juxtaposition to the hat. For instance, we got the hat into Dodger Stadium and I shot her in the crowd wearing that. I'd shoot her in a public swimming pool, those kinds of things. But I realized that that series was just visual. It wasn't There wasn't a deeper meaning to it. But all of those, going through those things, you teach yourself what has legs, what has meaning, and what doesn't. And then you sort of eliminate some of that out of your body of work. Well, that's an interesting point. How have you come to sort of discern the difference between those two? The ones that are are images that are just visually interesting and the other images that speak to an idea or a theme. It's one thing to go out there to photograph something with the intent of putting into into a body of work. And then there's another approach where you're creating images, you're reacting, and then you later on take a look at them through the editing process and discover the relationships between images, some, some unlikely. So how much of it is just sort of the impulsiveness of making photographs and how much of it is it a very sort of thoughtful planned approach in terms of what you want to capture? I think it's very intuitive and it's hard to really put your finger on why something has that deeper meaning to you. I I remember when we took our family to Europe and I, you know, shot tons of architecture and And my favorite photo from the whole trip was a photo of my daughter lying on a bed. And I tried to explain that to friends, and they didn't understand it at all. But for me, it was a very intuitive feeling that it was a beautiful photograph that evoked a certain feeling that I wasn't getting from the other work. I mean, I see a lot of amazing visual photographs, but they they kind of leave you cold after a while. And so I think I I lean to things that are more, I don't want to say romantic, but more meaningful or significant in some way. Uh, There's some kind of poignancy to the work. And is that something that you feel about your own images? Or do you feel that's something that people get when they take a look at the the photographs? Do you think it it goes both ways? Is that what makes a really successful photograph for you? I think so. I I definitely feel it with my own work. I can feel if something has an emotion, and I'm certainly drawn to that. And I'm drawn to that in other people's work, too. And it's a subtle emotion. It's, you know, it's not operatic. It's, I don't know, it's hard to put into words. I haven't really 
thought it through that clearly. Yeah. Well you, well, you teach a lot and you share your approach to your work. So you have the opportunity to look at, you know, several students' bodies of work in, in their attempts to be able to put, you know, together a, a collection of work that's very concise, uh, that's tight, that expresses a, a vision. So you know that about your own work. So what do you think is missing from the work that you see in your students that you seem to have been successful in achieving for yourself? Well, I'm really proud of my students. So I, I just finished a class where I, I had 13 students for nine months. They just put on an exhibition. I think a lot of it is self-knowledge and self-awareness and understanding, as I keep saying, the photo landscape, where your work fits in, where, what context it has historically and, and, and in the contemporary world, but also learning how to make work that resonates on many different levels. I, I think that my students are really beginning to understand that, and, and I'm so incredibly proud of what they've been producing. But I do think a lot of it is just seeing the bigger picture. I think a lot of people, when they, they start out in photography, they're very myopic. They fall in love with their own images, and, and they haven't quite figured out where those images fit into the world and how they compare side by side or things like that. How do you mean that in terms of them comparing what they're creating compared to what they see that's out there being, you know, in the galleries or in, in, in the magazines? Is it somehow an issue of, of comparison or? Well, I think it's, I'm talking actually thinking back to photography classes that I took that, you just knew the person was in love with their work, which you should be in love with your work, but sometimes you're in love with your work beyond a point where it's, you know, you need to be open for criticism and for change. And it's not comparing your work, it's understanding the bigger picture. And I think uh, as you evolve and you're out in the world more, you, you begin to understand that. The way I, I perceive what you're saying is having an idea of an awareness of the other work that's being created at, at, at any given time and having uh, an appreciation for the work that's being being created beyond whether it's visually pleasing or not, you know, right. in terms of what, what those images are saying about not only the photographer, but the, the culture and the times that they, they, they live in. Um, I think that, um, at least from my perspective, I see a lot of photographers who draw inspiration from some of these other photographers, but they're not necessarily expressing their own take on that vision rather than trying to pursue similar techniques or buy similar equipment in order to achieve a certain equality in terms of technique, but not necessarily vision and, and voice. Right. And I think that's really common in college students and people that are, are young because they haven't lived life yet. So what the well that they're drawing from is a little bit more limited. Um, they're drawing from inspiration from other photographers rather than actually looking at their own life and thinking about what they want to express about it. And I think that's really kind of just an age thing that I, what, so what's 
really interesting for me is that a lot of my students are older that have come to photography sometimes after a career and really have a lot to say about their life and their world. And and they're making different work. How do you think that that helps? I mean, how is the work different? Is it that they're more self-critical, that they're not say, as in love, as, as self-obsessed with their work, or what is it? Yeah, um, I really see that people are now interested in exploring the bigger picture, the, the world. Um, they're interested in how the environment affects them. They are interested in revisiting their childhood and, and re-exploring it and understanding it. I just think there's a, a lot more meat on the bone it's not just about making pictures. It's about exploring ideas and in a significant way. And I think that might be the difference. Tell us about the process of you working on a, on a project. Cause you have several on your, on your websites, including a series of self portraits that you've made of, uh, of your feet and things on the floor. You also went to um, Legoland and, uh, made these images and all all the images for for those people who are listening who have not had a chance to look at the site are largely made uh on film using medium format cameras including a a holga so tell us about you know how do these things sort of start and what is your process as you're going through making making images and and when do you have a sense in terms of Knowing that you're you're near completion or that you are on the right track and not you know, saying, okay, this is a bust, let me move on to something else. I think for the most part, a lot of my series are still open-ended because I still enjoy creating imagery for them. There are some that are not, that I have either tired of the subject or just feel like it's been shown enough, I can't really refresh it and put it back out into the world. But I'll give you an example. I have a series called In Case of Rain. It's about looking at objects that will be obsolete in the next couple of generations. And that came about when I was at this lake house that our family goes to every summer in Massachusetts. And it's been in my husband's family since the 1800s. And so the the artifacts in the house are just rich with wonderful books and magazines and records and toys and games and visual things that are, you know, some of them 7,500 years old. And I started noticing that my children had no interest in any of them, that they just wanted to be on their computers. I really started thinking about all these tactile things like paper dolls, like board games, like things that that I grew up with that were so visually compelling and stimulating are now all on the computer and that children are less interested in actually using their imagination in playthings. And so I really wanted to start a series about photographing those things that, you know, will be obsolete. And while I was doing it, uh, the Kindle came out and it was like another death to the book and to the physical book. 
I do see the world is sort of pushing back on that and photographers are totally into making books now and and that has sort of been revived but that's that's how I think a lot of what I the projects that I come to work with are offshoots of other projects or the idea of just thinking about my world and how it's changing and reflecting back and looking at how my children are navigating the world and, um, and those spark ideas for me. It seems like a lot of the subject matter is derived from observations within your own life. Um, a lot of photographers think that they have to go somewhere else. Um, that they have to venture far from home in order to make a significant body of work. And I think almost with few exceptions, all your images are within your, within your purview, you know, they're, they're in your yeah. immediate environment. And, and I, I think it's a very important insight to share because the whole idea that valuable photography happening elsewhere other than in your immediate vicinity is sort of a misnomer. And I, and one of the things I like about your photographs is that I, I, there's a universe universality to so much of the work, even though the, you know, the world that you live in is, is different from my own or, or many of the other people. And I think, I suspect that's why it resonates with so many people when they take a look at it. Well, that's interesting. I was just writing a blog post on, photographing family this morning, and I was talking about the importance of sharing that kind of work because it, it truly is a universal subject. And Philip Toledano has this amazing series called Days with My Father that I, I think he's had close to 5 million hits on his website for people looking at that work, and certainly they're not all photographers. But I, I have always joked that I never want to leave the house to make work. And I think because I started off being confined to making work at home, it actually forced me to be more creative and come up with ideas that I could execute within my my home or within my world. I've kind of felt comfortable doing that. and I, And I do think that you know, it takes a more creative mind to, to figure out what you're going to photograph in a room. There's one series that I love by Donna Schwartz called In the Kitchen. And she forced herself to photograph only in her kitchen for a year. She created a wonderful body of work about family by doing that. And I think that sometimes limitations actually force us um, to be more creative. It's a lot easier to go out and shoot the world for subject matter because when you have the same three people under your roof, how do you approach them over the years and create new and fresh work? So it's harder now because my children are not at home and my dog died. Oh, I'm sorry. So, but no, but what I was, I was laughing this summer because I was working a lot with paper dolls and I'm thinking, well, you know, I've had to move on to inanimate objects now. So, when you started putting your work out there, how did you feel about putting out work in in the fine art field when it was revolved so much about your personal life? Because a lot of the the work that's sometimes out there is heavily conceptual, or you know, and it's very exploratory. 
and and though there is some work that is created that's very close to home to to the world of the photographer, I'm wondering whether you had any sort of trepidation in terms of putting your work out there, especially since it was so rooted in the personal, or did you just have a very strong sense in terms of what you were exploring that, that such feelings didn't really come into play? You know, I was incredibly naive. As I said, I had no photography community. I had no one to discuss my work with. I took a few classes, but at some point I realized I wasn't going to get ahead by just creating assignments, that I really needed to step away from school and just make work. And uh, the body of work that kind of put me on the map was the work with my mother uh, for in the Arrangement in Green and Black series. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just was having a lot of fun doing it. And my mother was sick on and off during that project. It took me about two years to complete I put it out into the world and I was shocked and unprepared for what came of it. It got, you know, it got into the PDN annual. It got into the communication arts photo annual. I got my first review ever was review Santa Fe. And I was totally unprepared for any of it. I was unprepared technically. I didn't know how to send that that this was pre-digital where you had to photograph your work still and send in slides and um, it was a huge learning curve for me and I never worried about the fact that it was my mother people seemed to love that idea and I was looking at it as a much more conceptual body of work my mother just happened to be the model Mm -hmm. and and it wasn't I wasn't making work about my mother per se but I, I really, I cannot believe that body of work is still going strong. I mean, I show it in Europe. I'm having two solo shows of it this fall. It's kind of mind-blowing to me. that. But it is also a really universal subject of making fun of your mother, of looking at photography through an, uh, an artist's eyes, which in this case is Whistler, And a lot of galleries have told me that it's so rare to have humor in art and that how much they appreciate having the show in the gallery because people come in and laugh. And that's not the usual um, reaction. Mm. You talked about that it slightly caught you off guard, but you were nevertheless able to take advantage of it. And I tried my best, I, you know, and, and this is part of my teaching is that I feel like I have made every mistake in the book and I can pass those on. You know, I feel like I stepped on every landmine there was and, you know, kept moving forward. Because I've seen, I've seen some students that have gotten some, some big acknowledgments and they don't run with it. It's sort of an and it's part of it is that they're they're young, but it seems like they they wait by the phone thinking that because they've gotten this exposure that the phone's going to start ringing. In your experience, you mentioned you made several mistakes, but could you sort of flush it out a little bit and let us know what you think? If an opportunity like that happens to someone, what mistakes shouldn't they make, and what should they do to make sure that they are able to take advantage of that opportunity and move to the next step? Well, first of all, I don't think I was as articulate about my work then. I also had not put it in the full context of things. I had not thought through 
where the best place for that work to go would be. When I went to review Santa Fe, I literally contacted a photographer who I had never met and asked him to help me. And he told me what kind of box to bring and that I needed to bring loose prints and just a few tips. But it was a very lonely experience. I didn't have any friends there. And in those days, it was held away from where you stayed. So everybody stayed in separate locations. And I didn't know who the reviewers were. I just, it was just, I was totally naive. And I certainly did not glean from that experience probably what I could have gleaned if I was more sophisticated. I think a lot of it is just learning about the the whole broad, the big picture of the fine art world and understanding the players and how they can help you and how who who would be the best person to see to do what and to and to begin to understand that you know everything is connected and every everybody seems to talk to everybody else and it's just a it was just a learning curve another thing were technical things that don't exist now because of digital but there are a couple of magazines where this work appeared fortunately in eastern europe so i don't won't be seeing them anytime soon, but my files were all just horrible that I sent them. I didn't really understand digital files when they started. I didn't have any place to learn that. I was horrified when I saw, you know, what was printed, um, those kinds of things. Mm. So I think a lot of this information now, I mean, this a lot of this was just at the beginning of pre-internet, and there weren't a lot of places to find help for things. I think now it's, you know, we can Google anything and find help about it. Well, one of the things that struck me on the day that I went to um, the, the workshop was when I was talking to the photographers who were taking your class, who were all there sitting at tables, sharing their portfolios and talking about the work, is I was really amazed not only at the quality of the work, but how they were able to speak about their work. And it was really refreshing to sit down there and have people really clearly state why they were creating the work that they were creating, but also having a sense that they had a a level of confidence in terms of sharing. I actually teach five classes, and you can start at the beginning and go all the way through. I I just taught last night uh, a, a class called Finding Your Vision where you really begin to understand the idea of working in projects. You understand a lot of the contemporary genres of photography. It gives you lots of ideas for your visual tool belt. One thing I talk to students about is having the idea of piggy banks, where you are not always working on one project at once. You may be working on five, and you make a few images here and there for each piggy bank, and eventually you're going to break one open and share it. So that's finding your vision. And then I have a three-part next step class where it's really for emerging photographers learning how to get their work out into the world. And a big part of it is really helping them articulate what they have brought to class. They have to write and share their work. It's almost like a photo therapy idea where everyone is sharing um, their bios and their statements. We're we're kind of, as they read it out loud, we're kind of listening to, to hear if it sounds genuine, if it sounds 
compelling, if it sounds right. And then I have a Next Step 2 class where we actually go on to have a an exhibition and um, they kind of learn the process of showing their work, of writing press releases, of being able to talk about their work. We do a lot of practicing. Um, if anyone is going to a portfolio review, we do practice sessions so that they learn how to articulate something in 20 minutes. And then I teach Next Step 3, which is a touchstone class that happens about every six weeks for anyone that's taken Next Step 1 and 2, a place to just share new work, to hear about opportunities, things like that. And then I um, just started teaching the personal project class, which is a nine-month class for people who are wanting to make a significant body of work and having the time to come in once a month and check in, talk about their progress. And I teach in a way that is very um, supportive, enthusiastic. I went through, uh, you know, an art school and was devastated by some of my crits and still to this day can remember some zinging, you know, unkind words that the teacher really did not need to say to me. Mm. And I just refuse to teach that way because I think people flourish with enthusiasm and you can be enthusiastic, but you can shift someone's way of seeing. So that's... That's why I feel like people are really comfortable in sharing work because I, I'm not going to criticize it in a way that will devastate them. I'm only going to suggest ways of seeing the work differently or in, you know, technical improvements. Yeah. Well, tell me about your, your site, Lens Scratch. It's one of my favorite places to go each, each day. Uh, but oh, tell people about what, you know, what the blog is about, why you created it, and why it's such an important part of, of everything that you do. Well, that came about because I felt like I needed to educate myself in contemporary photography. And I started it, I think, almost six years ago now. I decided that if I was going to do it, I really wanted to commit to it. So I committed to writing every day. And just that fact has not only made me a better writer, but it has given me so much back from these amazing connections I've made with photographers all over the world. It's made me see things really clearly. It's made me look at work and try to understand it when I, I might not have spent any time with it. It's really forced me to pay attention. And now I have some wonderful things have come out of it. I just um, was asked to curate an exhibition for a, a Guatemalan photo festival of uh, portraits featured on Lens Scratch. You know, it is exhausting. I am going to be bringing in a few people to um, guest curate because I'm traveling so much this fall. Um, I have someone who is a um, is from Argentina, who is going to do a week of um, South American photographers. I have a German photographer that's going to do a week of European photographers. And uh, I have a couple other people in the wings that I think will also add some freshness to it. But um, it's a ton of unpaid work, but it does, it has really enriched my life in many ways. 
Well, it's a great site. So if listeners have not been there, I really recommend they, that they do. And I'll, I'll have a link for it on, on the site. Well, the last question I ask is I ask my guests to suggest another photographer for our listeners to go out and discover and explore for themselves. So it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? There's so many. This is a horrible question. (laughs) (laughs) I have to give kudos to Julia Dean for to begin with, because she got me teaching and I had never, ever thought about teaching in a million years. So um, I've just am so, so thankful to her and just love all that she brings to photography and such so much heart. One photographer who I discovered her work on Flickr a number of years ago, and now we have become dear, dear friends, who I just think is really, really a true artist, is Angela Bacon Kidwell. Um, She lives in Texas. She is not surrounded by a photography community. She also comes out of an art background. And she is also at home raising a small child and creating the most amazing work confined to just basically the world that she knows. She's now becoming a world-class photographer, and I'm just so incredibly proud of her. So that's just one. I mean, there are a zillion I would love to mention. But I think that's a, a great point to leave it. I'm just opening up her site and just looking at a couple of images. I see what you're talking about. All right. Well, where can people find out more about you and everything that you're doing? I finally redid my website this year, and I do have a news tab on my website I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter as Lynn Scratch, um, and I'm writing daily on Lynn Scratch, so I think it's not hard to find me these days. You can see me out there somewhere, and, uh, you know, people are, I do a lot of private tutoring, too, so people are, and Skype tutoring, which is really interesting, so, anywho, that's where I'm at. All right. Well, thank you so much for appearing on the show. It was, yeah, I really enjoyed having the chance to finally sit down and talk with you. Oh, well, thank you. You're doing a great service for photography with, their, with your podcasts. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame.